0: I told you, or I announced this a couple of three weeks ago, I can't lose track of time, um, that we were with the, with the young people on a Wednesday night, the elders, and none of them knew what I had done before I retired. Uh, <laughs> there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Uh, and, and I begin to think about that. I bet they wonder, why do they always let that same elder do all the preaching when Gary's gone? Uh, I can imagine. I'm going to be preaching this week, and as a matter of fact, next week, because Gary's still going to be gone. And this is going to be a two-parter. Uh, you're just going to get one part today. <laughs> it's, it's not that it hasn't been hinted rather unsubtly that this shouldn't go on forever, and so it's not going to be. But I want to talk to us just from heart to heart a little bit, okay? I want to start off in Luke 7. There's a story there that you know if, you're, if you've read the Bible very much at all uh, that you're familiar with. There was a man named Simon, and he was a Pharisee, and he invited Jesus into his home, not because he was enamored with Jesus or really respected him at all it it appears that it, this was kind of a I want to see the the strange man I want to see the one they're talking about because uh, he was after all a Pharisee very strict very religious and this man was an upstart he was um, he, he wasn't somebody they really wanted around while they were there eating reclining at table, a sinful woman, doesn't say how, why, where, just it appears to be this was a known sinful woman, you know one of those kind, somebody whose life has fallen into such a mess that they're living in sin and everybody knows it, it's just one of those kind, but she comes in, she, she breaks into the party, so to speak. She falls at the feet of Jesus. She begins to weep and to kiss his feet. Now, Simon says to himself, well, now we know he's not a prophet. We know he's a phony. Because if he were, he would know what kind of woman she was. Because the assumption is, of course, if he knew that she was a known sinful woman... He wouldn't let her touch him. Be gone! Get away from me! Don't touch me! Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what he's thinking. He sees this woman. He knows what's going on with her. He knows what's going on with Simon. And so he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say on teacher, A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, now think about it, Jesus is looking at the woman while he says this, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, she has since the time I came in has not ceased kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. And he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Who do you identify with in this story? Simon? The sinful woman? Maybe Jesus himself. I'm going to be critical of us today, uh, lovingly, but I'm going to be a little critical. I'm going to point out some, some things that we're not going to be comfortable with. I think I'm qualified to do that because I love you and I love the church, and I've been preaching for 60 years this year, and I think that gives me license to be able to observe some things and say some things, all right? Okay. I grew up in a time, and you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to kind of build on this. I grew up in a time when the answer to the question, and you've heard me say this before, and this, but this is real. Some of you younger ones, you'll say, what is he talking about? Trust me, I know what I'm talking about here. I grew up in a time when the answer to the question, are you saved, the appropriate answer for us was, well. I don't know if I've been good enough. You see, there were other religious groups who knew they were saved. We thought that was wrong. I don't know if I've been good enough. My daddy died at 95, and he was still wrestling with that, trying to get some sense past that. And it was hard because generations were raised with that idea, it's not that we didn't know about not that we didn't know about grace, but our concept of it was skewed. That's a good word, isn't it? Skewed. You see, there were there were several ways to look at being saved. One of them, and, and, and a lot of people believe this, was was the concept of a balance. If I sin over here this much, pounds, dollars, or cents, whatever you want to call, I have to do this many good works, go to church, say my prayers, do good things for my neighbor to counterbalance this. And so in the great judgment day, we hope the good works would outweigh the bad ones. That's a concept. It's it's wide. What is the whole idea? Everybody's, the whole world's concept of who goes to heaven. The good people go to heaven. Those that are more good than bad go to heaven. Everybody knows that. That's one of the biggest lies the devil ever told. The next concept of grace was you work hard you must work hard to do good works to do good things to be a good person and you be as good as you can be do as much good as you can but we know it's never going to be to a perfect level see we're we're, we're practical enough to know that and so grace will cover the rest But you've got to reach a certain level. And we were never sure where that level was. How much do I have to, where do I have to go? How good do I have to be? How many good works do I have to do to get to the level where grace will do the rest? And so there was concern there. Have I reached that level? Never sure of my... My grade level here. Another one had to do with a concept that I call, I, I define it by saying, God grades on the curve. You, you remember that. Like I say, we've talked about this before. I'm setting something up here. Stay with me. The next thing was that God grades, grades on the curve. You knew how that worked. The teacher would say, all right, well, I'm going to give you a test If the highest grade is 80, that'll become an A+. So my 60 looked good. I made a C. Because God was grading on the curve until you had some smart kid in the class that ruined the curve by making 100 and well wanted to shoot him. But that was was something different. But God grades on on the curve. In other words, God's going to take just the top... Seventy percent, or the top 30 percent. see, the 70 percent are not. So I need to be in that 30 percent, or 25 or whatever See, I need to be in that top echelon. So I just need to make sure that I'm better than 75 percent of you. I oh, shouldn't be a problem as I look around. (Laughter) uh, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh. (laughs) But we had those concepts. There was no saying, I am safe." we sang blessed assurance, but there was no blessed assurance because we didn't believe in blessed assurance. We believed, well, I hope I've been good enough. And it came through one of those ideas. Now, folks, let me tell you something. Our beliefs frame us and shape us. Our beliefs make us into the character, the heart that we will have. Not only as individuals, but as a church. And so our churches... And our individuals took on a persona that was created by those beliefs. And you know what happened to us? And it wasn't pretty. Not only was there no assurance of salvation, and so we, we were basically an insecure people. You couldn't know. There was no... Idea of being safe and secure. We sang about that. Look back in those days at the songs that we sang. To the work, to the work. I will work and pray. They had to do with encouraging us on to work. Most of the songs that we sang. To the work, to the work. Go. You better be working. You better be faithful. You better be serving. You better be doing enough. You better be. I can talk about this because I was there, okay? I know about it because I lived through it, and I know what I'm talking about, and so do you. So many of you, so do you. And it wasn't always limited to the people, you know, who are older, Some people wrestle with that today. In fact, everybody wrestles with this concept of grace. But our beliefs not only gave us no assurance and made us insecure, it made us believe that we had to be better than everybody else. We had to be right and we had to be better. Boy, you better be right. We talked about truth. We preached the truth. Now, I'm not saying that's not a good idea, but our concept of what we were saying is that we only, we only, it made us judgmental. We needed, we had to be right. And so we, we found fault. We were critical. We became judgmental and self-righteous. I asked a while ago, who do you identify with? There was a time in my life I had to, as I look back now, I was Simon. Yeah, yes I was. I tell people sometimes I'm a recovering Pharisee. Because I've been there, I do know. We had to be right more right, see, than everybody else. So it made us judgmental, and sometimes it made us harsh. We're still trying to live down some of the things that we've created, the reputation that we created. And I know some of you are very uneasy about this. But our beliefs shape us and frame us. And if you believe, if you believe the idea that we had to be good enough, if you still believe that, it's still doing that to you. Can't help but do it. Jesus never talked about grace. But he painted so many pictures of it, and we're going to look at several of them here in just a minute. He kept giving you a picture. Look at this. And It's like he was saying, all right, if you don't get this one, look at this. Okay, if you're still not getting it, now look at this. He pictured it. He gave examples. He, sh- he showed it, even though he never said it once, that I can find at least. There was no blessed assurance. You know what the important thing in this parable is? The fact is, we're not Simon or the sinful woman or Jesus. Brother, we're the debtors. When he told the story about the debtors, that was us. And you know the important thing about that story? is not how much each one owed, but the fact that neither one could pay. It was impossible for either one to pay. didn't matter whether his debt was relatively small compared to the other debt. The other one was great big compared to the other one. Neither could pay. Do you see that? There's a whole sermon wrapped up in that. I don't think we can fully grasp the wonderful concept of grace without dealing with sin. You know that? I think, it, I think these two are tied together because he talked about the debt. And the debt that he talks about here represents sin. And one of the things the Scripture does is very clearly set out the fact, and we don't we don't talk about sin a whole lot anymore, do we? You think I'm a sinner, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yes, I do. Sin is an offense against God. Sin is doing something that God says is wrong. You know, we get all we get all twisted around sometime. We say. Well, you're, you, here's, the, here's the lifestyle you're living. I think that's wrong. And I want to show you how I disapprove of it. Get off that. That's not your job. What we need to say, I mean, let's say somebody, all right, let's take something k- kind of common today in the world and sometimes other places. Here's a couple, oh, we're in love, and so we're going to move in and live together, and we'll get married someday. I'm sorry, but God... My God says that that's wrong. He believes that's wrong. Well, what do you believe? You know, it doesn't really matter, does it? My God says that's wrong. He says that's a sin. Now, you can do what you want about it. I mean, it's not an offense against me. God says that's wrong. And that's the way we deal with so many other things that are hard. We don't have to stand up and say, oh, shame. You're awful. You're terrible. That's not our job. We didn't. You know, it even says Jesus came in the world not to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So he sure didn't leave that to me. Yeah, I want y'all all to be judges and go around pointing out everybody's sins. No, not your job. But is it right for a couple to move in and, and live together without being married? Well, God says that's that's a sin. Well, you're being judgmental, aren't you? No, I'm just, i am you know, I'm going by what God says. He says that. And I don't know why you'd be bothered whether what I think about it one way or another. You really ought to be concerned what he thinks about it. Now, we like to point out those things, but one of the things the Scripture does is paint us all with the same brush. I've said this many times. Before you can appreciate how good the good news is, you need to understand how bad the bad news is. Before you can understand the gospel and it becomes wonderful, you need to understand the truth about yourself that is terrible. What is that? Oh, that you're a sinner and deserve to go to hell. (laughs) Welcome to the club. Paul talks about over that in in, in Romans chapter 3. I I love to go there because he's so absolute. He he says more or less, I don't care who you are standing here, how good your life looks to, to the rest of the world, how much they may or may not applaud you, how famous you may be, what a great superstar you may be, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God fact for there is none righteous no not one well it must not be so bad then since we're all sinners right well no that's not what he says because we have sinned against God that has ruined our relationship with him he calls it death I've lost you you're gone you're not in my fellowship anymore. Your sins have separated between you and me. As a matter of fact, over in Ephesians, verses that were read a little while ago from Ephesians 2, for by grace are you saved through faith. You know, those, we're going to get back to that in a minute. But that starts off with saying <laughs> you were dead through your sins and trespasses. And you didn't have any way to fix it. Well, what about that balance thing? Doesn't work. No. You can't, you can't make up for one sin with all the prayers, all the good deeds. See, it's not a balancing act. There's sin. You're a sinner. We are the debtors that Jesus was talking about who could not Pay Well, that puts us in a fix, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And if you'll read that Ephesians 2, I don't have time to do. I've been put on a short leash today. Uh, <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have time to go into that. but twice in that chapter he says, "But God." and he's talking about how God intervened, and how did he intervene with Jesus, with his life, with his death on the cross? With his resurrection, God intervened and made a way. Gary was talking about that the other day. God made a way. When it was impossible, when there was nothing we can do, when we're hopelessly lost in sin, God made a way. He sent Jesus. And because of that, listen to what it says, for by grace are you saved through faith... And that not of yourselves, listen to it, not of yourselves, remember all of that, I have to be good, not of yourselves, but I have to reach a certain standard, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works, well, we have to do works. Not as a result of works, well, we have to be good enough, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. No, (laughs) nothing. You got that? You're dead. You're hopeless. You're lifeless. As he says, remember when you were lost? You were nothing. You were dead. You were without God. You were without hope in the world. You had nothing but God. So he says, by your faith, when you believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he died on the cross from my sin, you know what I'm doing? How many of you think in baptism right now? How many of you? Raise your hand, go ahead. Yeah, you don't want to do it, do you? Raise your hands. <laughs> See, let's leave that out of the picture for a minute. By faith in Jesus, do you trust Him enough to do whatever He says? Now we'll get to that, all right? Do you trust Him enough that His death on the cross is your salvation, is your hope? is your only hope then come on get in the water now you're ready well see that's a work no it's not no it's not how is it a work for you to allow someone to do something to you how many in here baptized yourself you didn't do it it was done to you surrendered to it let me Die. Let me live again. Grace. Grace. Brother, you were baptized. Michael, you got a seat in heaven now with your name on it. It is reserved there for you. You are written in the Lamb's book of life. Every one of us. You are a child of the King. You are forgiven. Well, see, though you don't, you don't. Wait a minute, you don't know. See, I still, I still mess up. Oh, really? You're the only one. <laughs> the rest of us have got this. Why are we laughing? Because that's dumb, right? We know better. His grace continually covers us. Do we want to be? his people live for him now let's finish the rest of this verse for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves is the gift of God not of works lest any man should glory for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works well you just contradicted yourself preacher you just made a mess you said not good works I said not good works in order to be saved But because you are saved, there's work to be done. Now, let's get it to it. That's the way it works. Don't you be working in order to be saved. Don't you do it. It's wrong. But because you're saved, because God has made you his child and said you're part of the family now and we've got work to do, come on, let's get with it. Oh, it's all a reason, all the difference in the world whether you're working in order to or because of. Do you understand? It's all from the heart. It's your understanding. Grace made me God's child. It was given to me. I didn't earn anything. I didn't deserve anything. It was given. Now I'm here, and the Lord says, I've got work for you to do until I call you home. i give you a gift. I'll give you opportunities. Serve me. Honor me. Glorify my name. That's that's what we're talking about. Oh, it's all the difference in the world. And so Jesus shows us over and over again, but none better than the prodigal son, is there? Oh, you want a picture of grace? Oh, we could go to so many different ones, the the rich man and Lazarus. Grace. Um, the uh, the Pharisee and the publican. Grace. Look them up if you don't know these stories. But the main ones, Luke 15. Everybody loves that story. You know why? It is so full of love and grace. It's the most beautiful story in the world. The younger man had two sons. The younger one says, give me part of my, my uh, inheritance. I'm leaving. He goes off to the far country. He engages in sinful living. He makes, a, he makes himself shameful. He sins. He, it's ugly. It's ugly. It embarrasses the whole family, all right? He finally ends up in the pig pen. He says to himself, why am I here? I'm starving to death. My friends have abandoned me. I'm out of money. He reached the bottom, as we say sometimes. I'm going home. I'm going home and say to my father, "Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. But if I can just be a servant in your household." You hear what he's saying? I'll work. Are you listening? I'll work. He comes over the hill, he's filthy, he's nasty, he's dirty, he's been in a pig pen. He stinks and he's full of shame and embarrassment. His father runs. He runs and he embraces him. And he the boy truth, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Everything he's saying is true. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant. I'll work in your house. And it's like the father doesn't even hear. He commands his servants quickly! Bring a robe and put it on my boy's back. Don't let him stand there in that filth. Put a robe on his back. Put shoes on his feet. My children don't walk around barefooted. Put a ring on his finger for his status. He's restored. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Don't that make the goosebumps come up on you? What is he doing? It's grace. Why? Grace flows out of love. Love comes first, and out of it, grace. Do you understand being loved that much? That much. Remember the older son? He comes up. He says, what's the sound of music and dancing I hear? Yeah, God to a dance. Your father threw a dance. Music, dancing, celebrating. What's going on? Your brother's home. Well, what's the deal? I have been here working all the time. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're my son, and everything I have is yours. But this one was lost, and he's found. Brothers and sisters, this has to be our message. God loves you. I don't care where you've been, what you've done. He offers you salvation by your faith in Jesus. He'll give it to you because it's been bought for you. And it's a gift that you cannot, will not ever earn. Does he want you to come to him? He's begging. Listen to all those. Those stories again. He's begging. Come on. I've got this for you. Oh, baby, come on. Don't you see? I love you. Come on home. It's a beautiful message. There is none more beautiful in all the world. The fullness of, of the momentous wondrous thing of grace we'll never fully comprehend but it flows out of the love of God and it is offered for you you do not cannot must not even try to earn it or deserve it just want it from your heart it's a gift It involves your trusting him, coming to him, dying to self, being buried in the waters of baptism, raised to a new life. You want to talk about that? There's going to be elders and staff members around the back. Walk over to them and say, tell me about this. I need to know about this. Or if you have some prayers, private, just between you and, and one other person, go, go to one of them. I stand back there usually, and, and it's touching. Somebody comes and says, pray with me. i just put your arm, arm around you. See, we—I'm getting into next week's sermon now—but we who have grace learn to extend grace. If you need to come today, if we can serve you, let us know. The stand and say.